getting hit in the head is not a normal part of life. The more hits you take, um, the younger you start, the more years you play, the greater your risk. In October of 1905, President Teddy Roosevelt called the coaches of the Harvard, Princeton, and Yale football teams to the White House in order, according to the Washington Post, to devise means of eliminating so far as possible the brutal elements of football. Today, the game of football, that's American football to our international listeners, is facing scrutiny for its brutality once again. In the last few years, research has emerged showing that concussions and even repeated sub-concussive hits to the head can lead to a degenerative disease known as chronic traumatic encephalopathy, or CTE. In the last few years, Congress and the White House have once again sprung into action, much like Teddy once did, hosting summits, hearings, and launching investigations. But what makes CTE a public health issue? And if so, what can and should be done about it? Hello and welcome to the Harvard Kennedy School PolicyCast. I'm your host, Matt Cadwallader, and you can subscribe to us on iTunes or elsewhere by visiting hkspolicycast.org. Today we're joined by Chris Nowinski, the co-founder and executive director of the Concussion Legacy Foundation. Chris was an all-Ivy defensive tackle on the Harvard football team before going on to become a professional wrestler and eventually writing the book Head Games, Football's Concussion Crisis. Chris, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. So, uh, what is chronic traumatic encephalopathy and I've been trying to pronounce that for all week and <laughs> it I'm takes glad. years to learn it trust me um, uh, what is CTE it's a degenerative brain disease uh, we used to call punch drunk because it was first learned about in boxers over 80 years ago uh, since then we've learned a lot more about it but essentially what we're learning is um, repetitive brain trauma can spark a degenerative process in your brain while you're still an athlete and then for the rest of your life your brain essentially slowly rots and different parts of your brain start to become affected that leads to a clinical syndrome that causes dementia. And why is it that we're first learning about this now? I mean, this seems like concussions have been around for a long time, especially in you know, football, uh, football, but also boxing, as you mentioned. Um, what is What has made it so hard for this condition to be tracked? It was because we isolated it to boxing. We actually have known about this in a wide manner in boxing. If you actually go back and watch On the Waterfront with Marlon Brando from over 50 years ago, he plays a punch-drunk boxer who's unemployed, who's getting in fights, who's a total mess, showing all the symptoms we see in NFL players. Mm -hmm. The problem was boxing became out of favor kids don't box anymore and so there wasn't no one really felt sympathy for boxers because you should expect if you punch each other in the head all the time to have problems uh, it wasn't until it was discovered in a, an american football player um, that it really drew my attention and then that i first learned about it and i was like wow uh why didn't anyone tell us about this and since then um we've now found it in you know nearly 100 nfl players and kids as young as 17 and so it took really football as our number one sport to bring it to the public's attention uh so this is a disease that cannot be diagnosed, at least so far, in the living. It's something that needs to be done in, via autopsy. Uh, can you explain why? Why Why isn't it that an MRI or a CT scan can pick up that? Well, virtually no degenerative disease, like Alzheimer's or Parkinson's, can be diagnosed with 100% accuracy while you're living anyway. So it's not that far different from these other ones. But the issue is there's a pattern of degeneration in certain cells dying in a certain way that we just can't pick up with scans yet. And part of that is because we've never tried because, you know, when we started the CT Center at Boston University School of Medicine, it was the first in the world in 2008 
focused on this disease. Mm -hmm. So uh, until we have a little more time to study it, um, and then can publish even a clinical diagnostic criteria um, that says if you have these symptoms, not these symptoms, and these tests, then we have a 90% accuracy that we can predict that you have this pathology in your brain. Mm -hmm. That's where we are with Alzheimer's today, and that's where we hope to get with CT. And I actually just left our monthly meeting where we reviewed four cases of former football players, went through their clinical profiles. Mm -hmm. The problem is it's a very heterogeneous disease. You know, it really depends on where, because it started by trauma, it starts in different parts of your brain. You Usually the frontal lobe, but every part of your frontal lobe does something different, mm -hmm. and so um, it's it's interesting to see that everyone you know, has, is, has sort of unique experiences with the disease. You know, I, I alluded to the um, question of whether this is a public health issue in in the intro. One statistic I read that was put out by Boston University and the Department of uh, Veterans Affairs um, found that was it ninety six percent of all NFL players were found to have uh, CTE, 79% of all football players in college uh, and NFL level. That seems to be a huge number of people who are affected with this. Right. You know, and I, and I don't think any of us expected this. I mean, I dedicated my life to this when I found out the first two NFL players were studied, just, uh, studied had it, just because I thought, you know, everyone was saying it was a one in a million shot back then, but that shouldn't come in twice in a row. But to go 88 of our first 92 with NFL guys has been mind-boggling. You know, people like to say it's a it's a biased sample, and it is. E even with a biased sample, we shouldn't be this accurate. So the, the bias really now comes from the families. They only donate the brain if they tended to sense something was wrong. But even if you got 92 people with dementia in a nursing home who died, who played football, 88 of them shouldn't have their dementia caused by CT. They should have it caused by Alzheimer's and the more you know, vascular dementia and the more common dementias. To see it in all these guys tells me that this is not a rare disorder by any stretch of the imagination. And it appears to be a dose-response relationship, which then puts it in the category of many other public health problems, which is the more hits you take, um, the younger you start, the more years you play, the greater your risk. So we're at 92% or 96% with NFL, 80% with our college players, but we have it's only 23% with those who stopped in high after high school. So they had the shortest careers, they have the least risk. This would put it in the same way as smoking and lung cancer and the same thing as, you know, sunburns and skin cancer. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, you, you see how we've responded to those. You, you kids can't smoke. Uh, it's illegal. Um, and then now we're talking about you can't, if you're a kid, you can't go into a tanning booth. You know, so to think right. like that's how far we're going to protect kids for this. What's makes, what makes this a public health problem is if you think about this as a football issue, there's 2,000 pro players. There's 5 million that are playing who are under the age of 18. Wow. One in eight boys in this country is playing football. And that, and they're taking a thousand hits to the head a year, and it's opening up the door to CT for all of them. And we just we don't know what percent will be have their lives impaired by this, but it's non-zero. So uh, this weekend, I actually went and I, I saw the film Concussion with Will Smith, and I'm sure this has brought a lot of uh, a lot of attention back to this issue. Um, it portrayed a really extremely scary uh, result. You know, some of the players it, it showed um, dealing with the 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 condition, essentially breaking them down in later life. Is that the worry for people who have 
um, been playing football just as kids and maybe even into college? Or is that something that people should only worry about if they've gone to the NFL or, or you know, really had the tens of thousands, even hundreds of thousands of hits? It's really hard to know how much to tell people to worry. Uh, and even for myself, I don't know how much to worry because we don't know the true prevalence of this in the population. But the reality is it's, it's not going to be a small number. I, would be, I mean, certainly if you start off 44 of 55 with college players, uh, I can't imagine it, you could ever get that number down to single digits in terms of the prevalence uh, statistically. Um, so, and, and you sort of hear about these, I, I live with this sort of every day, I mean, I'll give you an example. Last week I had coffee with a captain of a former uh, football team that I had played against uh, while I was here at Harvard who informed me that his best friend of the team had just died at 39, diagnosed with CTE, uh, stopped taking care of himself a few years ago, and sort of things derailed from there. He's also got another teammate who's got Lou Gehrig's disease, ALS, which we've shown is probably linked to CTE in most football players. So to have one guy have two of his teammates already, you know, have their lives destroyed by this, it's, it, you know, that those anecdotes are everywhere. Mm-hmm. And so um, I think... When we step back in 10 years or 20 years and we really have some data on this, we'll go, oh, my God, what did we do to these generations of men? When we talk about the things that are being done right now in terms of researching CTE, uh, a lot of it is about identifying it and trying to, you know, at least have some early action to uh, make people's lives better. But it doesn't seem like a cure or even a prevention uh, mechanism is available or on the near horizon. Um, You know, the NFL has certainly acknowledged CTE and put some funding into researching it uh, and has also boasted that, you know, it's put in in practices that um, have have reduced concussions by 35%, I think, are their numbers. But is that doing enough? I mean, is bringing down the number of concussions uh, by a uh, you know relatively small amount is right. that is that going to prevent these? No, you're, you're you're absolutely right. I mean the NFL boasting that concussions were down thirty percent last year. By the way, they were back up to their highest level ever this year. Uh, me is meaningless for risk of CTE in in, in the grand scheme of things. Uh, we're talking about you know and, and everyone should understand if you're somebody who's fallen you, you never played contact sports you fell and hit your head once on the ice you had a concussion it was better in a few weeks you're not going to get CTE. There's never been a case recorded in human history where somebody's had one bad concussion and had CTE. In fact, the Mayo Clinic just reviewed 18 years of brains, and they found uh, of 66 guys who played contact sports, 21 had CTE. But of all those who had single TBIs from car accidents or other things, none of them had CTE. So so it's not a concussion issue, and that's very important to, to get across. But the NFL, um, I mean, what they did in December sort of uh, ended my hope that they're going to do anything positive in this field ever and they're doing anything but but dragging their feet to try to slow down progress. I don't know if you're aware, but um, we, uh, our team at Boston University, led by Dr. Bob Stern, uh, received a $16 million grant from NIH for a seven-year study to try to diagnose this in living people. That we, when we, everyone applied for that, that was supposed to come from the NFL's money they donated to the foundation for NIH. When, NA, when the NFL heard that we were getting it, uh, because Dr. Stern and we've all been very critical of them, they said they weren't going to fund it. And, they, and NIH, thank God, said, we're not going to let the NFL do this to us. And they found the money themselves, which is n- not easy for NIH. But the NFL already slowed down that study by a year. 
Now the uh, the NFL had said that that was unrestricted money, the thirty million dollar. Yeah. Uh, and, and then the contract was leaked. It was not. It's a lie. I mean, they just lied. They just lie. That's what they do to protect their image. But this one, they were caught in the lie. Wow. Um, Stat News with the Globe published that, and other folks. Um, so. It's 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 a dark dark day. We're, we're we're we are reliving big tobacco all over again. Um, and while they at the same time they're recruiting our kids to the game, we, you know, hard, stronger than they ever have before. So you at your question was about can we treat this? Can we prevent this? So for treatment, if you live in this world of neurodegenerative diseases, once your brain starts to go, once you've lost neurons, they aren't coming back. That's the last hope you have. The best thing we can do is maybe stop the disease's progression, or the easiest one would be to maybe slow it down. But once you trigger this thing, there's no drug. And even now, if we can't diagnose it, how can we even test a drug, right? How can we even test if it works? So we were years away from a treatment. But prevention-wise, the, I mean, the easy thing is um, don't get hit in the head. And that's the conversation you need to have. That getting hit in the head is not a normal part of life. Sports has become industrialized and become a business pro- uh, enterprise and a profit center. And I think when we first invented games for people, for adults and college athletes back 100 years ago when Teddy Roosevelt were playing, no one ever thought this is also appropriate for a five-year-old to be doing this. We had, I mean, literally, even the guys we're diagnosing now, most of them didn't start until they were 12 or in high school. There was no Pop Warner for little kids. And that's where things have gone uh, really out of control. And so if you want to prevent this, don't have your kid play a contact sport it's a, before they're in high school. Let their, let their, there's a million reasons why uh, brain development, uh, you know, the idea of having a medical infrastructure, an tra- athletic trainer, a doctor to help you, uh, the gigantic head and your little body and your tiny little neck. Um, don't hit kids in the head, and we will prevent most cases of CT. Think about it, even in football, if 95% of the people only played in high school and had a four-year exposure, almost none of them would get CTE. It's not enough exposure from our experience. Be the same thing as smoking for a week, right? You're not going to get your lung cancer risk of smoking for a week is tiny compared to smoking for 20 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we need to look at things that way. But we need to create a culture where we just don't hit kids in the head on purpose because it looks cool when adults do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you still watch football? Primarily for research purposes, just to yeah. see if they're following the guidelines they said they would they would follow. You can understand that there's a tremendous amount of uh, love for the game of football, and yeah. this really is, uh, you know, a, an existential threat to the game itself. Is there a way forward for the game of football? The, the, you know, this becomes part of public health discussion, partly an ethical discussion. You know, if you step back, there's nothing wrong with the NFL happening especially because the players have a union, you know, and I'm advisor to that union, to create the rules at which they're comfortable. And they now are educated, and they're supposed to have informed consent. And we let lots of adults do a lot of dangerous things as their job. And the NFL has, you pay NFL players way more than we play, pay policemen and firemen, right? But they all, all their lives are at risk. Um, the question then becomes, well, is it okay for college players? And I would say, Right now, not while we're paying their coaches $7 million and not paying the players, and by the way, they're getting CT and have no long-term care. That's, that's wrong, but if they were 18, had informed consent, and had some medical care uh, and were paid, I wouldn't have a problem with that either. But then it all gets back to what do we do with children, mm-hmm. you know, before they're 18. I mean, this, you know, again, uh, is there a future for that? Is there a future for hitting young people in the head a thousand times and giving them brain disease before they're old enough to understand the consequences of their actions? That's the question.
I think we all know the answer <laughs> if you, you teach ethics, but um, and 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 it's funny to watch you know the NFL and others try to divert the conversation to obesity. Well, if they don't play, you know we have an epidemic of obesity and that's much worse. Well, by the way, there no other sports hit kids in the head that much other than boxing, right? I mean. Um, there are millions of other options to get exercise without getting hit in the head. Mm-hmm. And even if you think football is the greatest sport in the world and it teaches you a lot, that's fine. For little kids, though, do you think you can teach those kids? I ask parents this all the time. Can you teach them those lessons without hitting them in the head 300 times? And if you can't, you need to work on your parenting. <laughs> but you learn life lessons from everything. Mm-hmm. What kind of policy prescriptions would you put out there in terms of combating this? If it's a public health issue uh, and it's not one just you know focused on a single uh, entity like the NFL, what would you propose? I would start with no tackle before high school. You know, everyone plays flag or seven on seven. Uh, at the high school level, you would have to dramatically ramp up education. You would have to really build out your medical infrastructure. You should not be allowed to play the games or the practices without having a full-time athletic trainer in the sideline. There's studies showing you won't diagnose concussions without a medical professional there because the kids will just not say anything and the coaches will just look the other way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you can get into the nitty-gritty of the rules. You know, the kickoff is is on a ticking clock we're going to get rid of that because it's so it's so much more dangerous than any other play in the field mm-hmm. um you could get football to a dramatically safer place you know we'd all have massive restrictions on hitting in practice like the nfl has we got the player association to fight for fewer than one day of hitting a week because that's you know practice was over half the exposure half your risk which is crazy mm-hmm. so you could get it to a much safer place and if you did do put all those things in place it might be the same as soccer and football ice hockey and lacrosse and and ct is rare Mm -hmm. but uh we're nowhere close to that right now Mm -hmm. and uh you know and i i I love how you know 10 years ago everyone fought us saying this is you know this we're overblowing it and now every every single thing we've put in place everyone's happy with and now that we're saying yeah but it's not far enough they're like oh you're overblowing it again (laughs) but everyone's saying thank you thank you because our people aren't going to die as quickly now uh so it's it's we still got a ways to go Well, Chris Nowinski is co-founder and executive director of the Concussion Legacy Foundation. Uh, Chris, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. HKS PolicyCast is produced by Matt Cadwallader and Molly Lanzarota. Special thanks to those who help get us out there every week, including Catherine Serafin at Harvard, as well as Alan Clegg and Lauren Colarusso at the Boston Globe. And to you for listening in. See you next week. You've been listening to the Harvard Kennedy School PolicyCast. You can subscribe to PolicyCast on iTunes, Stitcher, and elsewhere by visiting hkspolicycast.org. And let us know what you think on Twitter 